We prove the Lordship of Jesus Christ just by being faithful to his commands. You know, simple obedience, simple submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Those are foundational commands, but very important for understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Welcome to this week's broadcast of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and today I want you to meet a friend whom I've known for many, many years. Jim Van Eypern is the president of Metanoia Ministries. Metanoia in Greek means change, and Jim leads both individuals and churches out of conflict and helps them change and live as Christ would have them live in community. You'll meet Jim and hear his story in just a moment. First, let me remind you that this and every interview you hear on First Person is available for online listening or as a downloadable podcast. Online, we're found at firstpersoninterview.com, where you can search the archive and listen to past interviews. And if you'd like to receive our podcast on your MP3 device each week, you can subscribe at iTunes. Just search for First Person with Wayne Shepherd and click on the subscribe button. Well, as I said, today's guest has been a longtime friend, and I appreciate his scriptural approach to thinking about many issues, including forgiveness. Jim has a great mind and a heart to help people live free from the things that often tie us up spiritually. His latest book is titled The Good Confession, and it is a fable set on a farm, which teaches us about failure and forgiveness. And Jim lives on a farm, and I started by asking him if this story is something he's living through right now. Yes, it is, uh, particularly the forgiveness and failure part. <laughs> uh, uh, going through life, all of us f- find ourselves in some point of uh, failure and need of forgiveness. And so the book is, uh, in, in in novel form, just some of the lessons I've learned over the last 40 or so years. We'll get to the book specifically, but talk to me about your journey. Well, I was uh, born into a Christian family. That's a, a great place to start for anyone who's coming to faith. But Probably there's been three or four times in my life where I was confronted with the Lordship of Jesus Christ and what that meant and, uh, and what it meant to live in the kingdom of God. Uh, that, to me, is, is one of the most powerful thoughts that is often overlooked in the church. But the kingdom of God, you know, it's what Jesus first said. His first sermon was repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. And uh, even recently, just thinking about what does it mean to live as a member of a kingdom uh, whose king is Jesus and what that means in your life. And as I look back on my life, there were probably two or three times that were impactful where it changed radically how I thought I should believe and how God really wanted well, me to Well, let's start with the first one. I'm sure each one has been different. Yes. Deeper in a sense, maybe? Yes, absolutely. You know, uh, being born into a Christian family is a great place to start. You hear the gospel, and as a young man, as about 10 or 12 years old, I remember uh, through a camping experience with uh, a Christian service brigade, I came to faith in Christ and committed my life and understood as much as you could when you're 10 or 12 years old what that meant. Uh, and it was impactful in my life. I remember going home to my home church and being baptized and making a de- declaration of faith. It was real, wasn't it? It was real. It was real. And and again, I mean, each, each stage of your life, you come into a deeper understanding of what salvation really means. I, 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 in fact, I would say, I don't think you really know what sin is until after you're saved, mm-hmm. until, you, until you're confronted with your own image, your own self, and, and what does it really mean to call Jesus Lord? So, you know, as a young man, that was a, a pivotal time. But, but then when I went to college, and I remember going, my, both my wife and I, Sharon, went to uh, Wheaton College. And one of the most important times of our life at Wheaton was when Ray Stedman came in and, and did a series of services on body life. That was 
eye-opening to me, that the church could be a community, that the church was actually a body, and, and that meant certain things about how we related to one another. That was all new to me. I think it's about the time that we met. Exactly. Actually, exactly. at a church. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Long time ago. <laughs> but, but the whole body life idea, you know, it's in Scripture. We, we read it in Corinthians and Romans. But what does that actually mean? And how do we come in contact with other souls, other brothers and sisters, where we're in this common journey, all part of a kingdom? Mm-hmm a kingdom where Christ is king. So you took uh, one giant step there, uh, college days and just yep. after in yep. your 20s. Yeah, and then and then what happens is we got married uh, soon after college and started having children, and then life happened and, uh, and a lot of disappointments. I was fired twice from two different jobs. We moved around. Sharon's dad died when he was 50 years old, a traumatic experience in our life. And, and we, frankly, couldn't find a church that— we're teaching the kind of ideas of body life and what it meant to be a community. And so at that point, you know, I began to wander. I began to think, what is Christianity after all? What is going on here? And out of the personal disappointment and personal failures, I was confronted again with, is Jesus Lord or not? Some people get lost at that point and never come back. I was almost lost. I was almost lost. In fact, I remember a time where as if I, it was as, as if I, I, I opened the second floor window of my bedroom and was throwing out my faith. I'm going to throw out my Christianity. This doesn't work. This isn't right. I'm going to throw it all out. You know, throwing out the books I treasured as a Bible and a theology major. Uh, and, 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 and then coming to this fundamental point that I wanted to throw out my faith and then what clicked in was those verses and those, those times of understanding. I couldn't because I'd been bought with a price. Mm-hmm. My life wasn't my own. My salvation was my own. And so I couldn't throw out my faith. Jesus was Lord. And at that bottom point, I realized that his kingdom matters. And he as king is what everything is about. I take it that was the Holy Spirit that was bringing these things back to your mind and ministering to you. Yes. But was there any one person in particular, uh, an individual who you really looked up to and was helping you in that regard? You know, at that point in my life, it came through uh, readings. It came through um, a, a, a couple of people who were in my life not really as mentors, just as good listeners. My aunt and uncle were a pivotal, uh, played a pivotal role in my, in my life at that time, just in listening, opening their home, uh, unconditionally loving me, even though I, I had done some foolish things and I was not the, the person that I could have been. And they knew that, but they loved me and, and accepted me and, and, and were with me through that time. Made all the difference. You're back on track. What happens? Well, um, we decide that we need to start over, start over in our marriage, start over in our life, start over in our understanding of what it means to be a Christian. At the time, we were living in New Jersey, and uh, we decided that we're going to move to New Hampshire. And uh, we actually moved to New Hampshire. We bought this uh, property. I wanted to raise sheep. Crazy thing. I just somehow in I my life— I never pictured you as a sheep I know. farmer. I, I, grew know up, but... I grew up in northern New Jersey outside of New York City. You know, there were no sheep there. <laughs> but I wanted to raise sheep. And I don't know why, but I think God knew why. Because all along, see, Wayne, when I was in college, I thought I was called into ministry. And a, a, a important part of my story there is that I went to seminary, and I lasted six months. And I left seminary because I thought something was wrong with the seminary. Uh, it turns out there was something wrong with me. <laughs> and that's what God has to do, you know, to get you to the point where you see it's nothing 
Nothing matters except his lordship. So I'm, we moved, and, and we're working in communications. I have a communications business. We move up to, to New Hampshire, and God starts speaking to me about, I want you to prepare. And I had no idea what I was supposed to but be But how preparing. did he speak to you? What do you mean by that? I, I had this sense that my life was not where God wanted me to be, it's, that there was more, there was much more, a calling that he had in my life that I had no clue about. But, but all the things that had happened, the failure, the disappointment, the need for forgiveness, the times of confession, the times of confrontation, all those things were building toward an end that I couldn't see. Were you frustrated by that? Yeah. Thinking you were disqualified in some yeah, way? Yeah, but at that low point was the low point of, I just, you know, I don't want anything to do with this. And then, and then, I, and then I understood, no, God does have a hold on me. God does, you know, the kingdom is, is okay. The kingdom is, everything's well in the kingdom. And if I, if I live in the kingdom, it will be well with me as well, no matter what's going on outside, no matter what the circumstances are. And so I, I, we came to the point where I, I eliminated all my clients, all the people I was working for as a communications and marketing communications. That's a little risky. Well, I, to, down to one who basically paid me for what I knew or what I, what I created for them. And, uh, and then I spent my time reading. I spent a year reading scripture, reading theology, and praying for a year. And that's how I heard God saying, prepare. After a year, a church called me and said, would you come fill the pulpit? And I, you know, I, sure, I'll come fill the pulpit. And I preached. And then the second week, they said, would you preach again? I said, sure. And that's when they told me that they had just fired their pastor. And, uh, and then after the third week, uh, I preached. They said, Jim, would you be our pastor? <laughs> now, I was smart enough to say, no, <laughs> I will not be your pastor. But I'll walk with you through this process. And it's at that point when I began first to be an intentional interim pastor, something I never knew existed before. But basically, I spent 10 months walking through the church with the church, learning what it meant to be a community. What does it mean to live in the kingdom? What does it mean to be reconciled with one another? But you're seeing church at its worst, in a sense, yes. being the interim guy, because there's there's turmoil. Oh, yeah. The, the churches we serve are tend to be uh, in very bad shape, in deep conflict, or uh, the better church is in some measure of transition where there's a lot of uncertainty mm-hmm. and kind of everything is on the line. They don't call us unless there's a problem <laughs> yeah. or a big question. Who are you going to call? <laughs> they, well, that's right. And so we come in and, and say, uh, here's a pathway. Here's first, here's the problem. And then here's a pathway towards reconciliation, towards wholeness, towards healing. Will you walk that? And if they will, we have the opportunity to watch God work in fantastic ways. So at what point did you realize, I guess this is it, God? I guess this is what you wanted me to do. Well, this first church experience was a radical change for me because I was in a leadership position. I was acting as a pastor, but I see, I learned that I wasn't a pastor. I, I think people are, who are called in pastoral ministry, it's, I, would, I would liken it to being a marathon runner. It's, it's, it's running at a good pace for a long period of time. You have to, you have to, to shepherd people, you have to walk with them a long period of time. I want to talk to you specifically about the things that you've learned. Mm. But just this point, isn't it fun at this age of life to look back and to see the hand of God in the struggles? Mm. You know, you didn't understand at the time. It was frustrating. But now you can see. Yeah, it's fun now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. <laughs> Not so fun then. No, but no. but you know, but that's how that's how it works, right? That's what faith is. You see, if 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 we could see into the future and 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 see what we see now, looking back, it wouldn't be faith. 
because we don't know that it's going to work out at the time. That's that's why Scripture is filled with stories that are people are called righteous because they they took a step in a direction apart from any guarantee, apart from any proof. That's what makes faith faith, right? Not that that, that this is a guarantee. It's because there isn't a guarantee that there's. It might not work out. God might not show up. We a lot of bad things could happen, but that's what makes it faith. And walking into it, we discover that, and and we prove our faith. We prove the lordship of Jesus Christ just by being faithful to His commands. You know, simple obedience. Simple submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, those are foundational commands, but, but very important for understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus. More about failure and forgiveness in the second half of our conversation coming up with Jim Van Eypren. When you join us next time, we'll talk with Steve Sellers, a recovering alcoholic living in the power of Christ. I would not be here today if it weren't for what I went through. I would not have the relationship with Jesus that I have today if I had not gone through that. Was there wreckage? Yes. Were there regrets? Yes. Have I been forgiven? Yes. The author of The Sobering Truth, Steve Sellers, joins us next time on First Person. Jim, you mentioned earlier moving to New Hampshire and uh, to this idyllic sounding farm that you and Sharon have there. And you'd spent some time raising sheep. Yes, 10 years. And I I never uh, pictured you as a sheep farmer. So I guess it's not a surprise to me that you would write a book where there are talking sheep? Yes, talking sheep. Uh, I, I did actually talk to the sheep when I was uh, a shepherd. I, I can't honestly say that I heard them talk oh, back. Okay, now but, I'm relieved. Okay. But, but with some imagination, I think you can get there. Uh, you know, uh, Scripture is filled with references to shepherd and sheep. And actually, I wrote another book called The Shepherd Leader that explores why is that? You know, why does God talk about shepherds instead of uh, priests or judges or uh, other roles of leadership? And I I think it's because having raised sheep myself, first of all, it's no it's no uh, compliment to be called a sheep. Uh, <laughs> they can be really dumb and very stubborn, but the role of a shepherd is is one that uh, uh, comes alongside, nurtures, is there. Uh, is, it, a shepherd can never be so far out in front that he or she doesn't know the weakest member of his flock, and and so there's there's a, a understanding of how do you shepherd people like. God shepherds us. So you have this book called The Good Confession, A Tale of Failure and Forgiveness, and it opens with these talking sheep. And I'm kind of wondering, has my friend gone off the deep end here a little bit as I started reading the first part of the book? Well, that's probably true. But But you intended this as a fable, and it's a whimsical fable, but at the same time, it teaches some deep, deep things about forgiveness. Yeah, the book idea came to us uh, from a a board member of our ministry who just suggested, let's try to communicate the principles of, of failure, of forgiveness, of confession. And, and understanding how to confront, uh, but do it in the, in the form of a story. And, of course, uh, we live, as you say, on this idyllic uh, small farm in, in New Hampshire with six acres, and I raise sheep. And I don't raise sheep anymore because we travel so much, but my neighbor still has sheep, so I'm raising them vicariously. <laughs> and uh, and, and it, there's, just, there's just something about being able to tell a tale that relates to us personally without having it being removed a little bit yeah. and having the sheep kind of— uh, personalize our foibles and our failures and our stubbornness, as well as some breakthroughs. And so that was the idea of the book. All right. Talking sheep aside, Mm -hmm. the points of this book are that confession and forgiveness cannot be short-circuited 
There's a there's a process, isn't there? A biblical process. Yeah, there, I, I would say there's there's a thousand ways to do them wrong, and and a few good ways to do them right. And and our work with churches, we've un, we've come to understand in working with men and women, particularly leaders, we're not very good at confession. We don't know how to confess. Most of the things that we say are are confessional, really are pleas for amnesty. They're not confessions. They're not heartfelt. They're they're kind of weasel words to try to make this thing go away. It's like we're trying to keep something for ourselves. Ex- isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. And confession is laying it all on the table and 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 saying everything that I need to take responsibility for. Regardless of what you have done, I take responsibility for this. I realize that my uh, failure or my hurt of you is not just a hurt towards you, but it breaks a communal ideal. Mm-hmm. This was the breakthrough for me in understanding what true confession was about. See, if I gossip about you, Wayne, I've not only sinned against you, I've sinned against the community of Christians, if we're in the same church, that ha- holds as an ideal, or maybe even the body of Christ, or the body sure. of Christ, yeah. we we hold as an ideal that gossip is wrong, and to do that, then I've not only violated you as a person, I've violated the community, and so I need to take responsibility both for my sin and failure and hurt against you, but also against the community, and and a right confession, a true, authentic confession, says that I did this, I'm wrong, I realize. That it was hurtful for you, and not only you, but broke a, an ideal of our community. Please forgive me. So often I hear people say, I'm sorry if I offended you. Yeah. <laughs> There's never an if or a but in a real true confession. You don't say if of anything. You know, if you don't know whether you've offended someone, you still don't say, if I've offended you. You say, when I said those words, I realized that they could be taken wrong mm-hmm. or that they could be hurtful. How did you take it? How did you take it? Yeah. I want to apologize for how I said that. For my part. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and then, and then not only say I, I apologize for doing that, but then take steps to, to rebuild the trust that was lost. In other words, uh, we don't believe that there can be true reconciliation without restitution. So that a part of a good confession is to say, not only am I sorry and I'm grieved that I've done this, but I want to take steps such that I never do it again. That's what I mean by the term short-circuiting. We, we go so far and no farther right. in this, don't we? We, we stop short of, of what really needs to happen. Because we want the problem to go away. And if we can make the if we can get the problem to go away in the, in the smallest amount of time or effort or cost to us, then we think that's good. The Jesus story, the Jesus kingdom that we're called into is exactly the opposite. I am commanded to confess things that you may not have even been offended by, but because my heart knows that I was wrong in saying it or thinking it, I need to confess this and make this right. In other words, I put it all out there and let the Lordship of Christ bear this instead of me trying to hide from it. We spend a lot of time hiding from ourselves. Well, how far do you go? I mean, if I'm thinking bad thoughts about you, do I confess that to you when no, you have no idea that that's the no, case? No, uh, but but it, it's it's the the rule of thumb is as to the sin, so should the confession be. So if I if I'm thinking bad thoughts about you and you don't know about it, my confession needs to be to God. Okay. Um, if I say something to you personally or in a meeting, then it becomes a, a sin between you or a public sin. If it's between you and I, I need to say, Wayne, please forgive me for saying that and confess to God. If I say that in the hearing of others, my duty is to say, please forgive me, Wayne. Please forgive me, others who were in the hearing of that. Hmm. Please forgive me, God. So as to the sins, so should the confession be. Mm-hmm. But you don't confess things that, uh, that could bring harm to people that they wouldn't know of otherwise. Does forgiveness always restore the relationship? If we do it right, does it always restore the relationship or are things always different after that? 
Uh, well, I would say this. Forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. Reconciliation is we, whatever was dividing us before, we're now whole. Okay. We're, 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 we're whole. Forgiveness is a step in that direction, but th- forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. In other words, you can read stories of, of people throughout history. Corey Tenboom comes to mind where she can forgive her oppressors who never asked for it. Uh, many died without even wanting it, but she can forgive because it's a gift. I can give you the gift of forgiveness out of the forgiveness that God has given me, that may or may not restore our relationship. If I have the habit of punching you in the nose every time I see you, and then every, after every time I punch you, I say, oh, Wayne, please forgive me, <laughs> you would be wise to forgive me because God tells you, Jesus 70 says, times seven. <laughs> Jesus tells you to forgive, but you'd also be wise to stay outside an arm's length of me, <laughs> yeah, right? It's because, right. Because, that's, you know, I, because I haven't demonstrated that I'm willing to change. You see, I, when, a conf, that's why confession, a true confession is, not only do I know I'm wrong, I'm committed to changing the behavior of what led to the hurt. If I have forgiven someone and they haven't asked for forgiveness, do I still communicate that forgiveness? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's the powerful thing of forgiveness because, you know, that's how God forgave us. That's how God forgave you and me that before we even knew or wanted to know salvation, he forgave us. Isn't that the ultimate test? To think on how God treats us. Exactly. It's, it's a reciprocal relationship. As God has been to me, I can be to you out of the bounty of his grace towards me. So, I, you know, the, the Scripture talks about the, 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 the reciprocal relationship be, between love and forgiveness, that only the person who's been truly forgiven can love, and only the person who's fully loved can truly forgive. You've seen a lot of case studies personally. Mm-hmm. You've mediated a lot of them. Some of them, it, it's worked, and some have, as we said, stopped short of doing the right thing. But when it's done right, it's got to be something to behold. It's amazing. You know, a, a lot of the times we're working with churches and, and usually individuals who are in conflict, and I keep coming back to the Deuteronomy 30 passage, you know, where Moses says, I, I set before you today life and death blessing and, you know, curses, door number one, door number two. <laughs> and we're constantly in the situation where we're saying, choose life, choose life. There are times when people choose death and, and curses, but when they choose life and blessing, it's amazing the transformation that happens in their lives, but also the lives around them. We've seen marriages be transformed. We've seen family dynamics change. We've seen churches healed. And, and become fully reconciled to one another. Does it happen every time? No. But if we follow God's plan for obedient to what he does and says, great things can happen. Jim Van Eypren. I enjoyed reading Jim's book, The Good Confession. It's funny and yet poignant as it teaches us how to say I'm sorry and really mean it. The Good Confession is available in print as well as on Nook, Kindle, and iTunes. For more information about it, we've placed a link to Jim Van Eypern's website at firstpersoninterview.com. Let me also mention that Jim has a couple of other books available as well, including Making Peace, A Guide to Overcoming Church Conflict, published by Moody. You'll find the information you need about the book also on Jim's website, which is linked at firstpersoninterview.com. Take the time to check out many articles and resources available. Start at firstpersoninterview.com. Now, if you missed any portion of today's broadcast and want to catch up on the whole interview, it's online at firstpersoninterview.com. It will remain in the archive. Coming up next week, we'll meet a man who faced failure because of his alcoholism. Steve Sellers will tell us how the Lord has given him freedom from his addiction. That's next time here on First Person. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Join us next week for First Person. First Person.